Hi, this is Jeff Cobra, and we welcome you to this Disney Insights podcast. Le Chateau de la Belle Bois de Mont, or Sleeping Beauty Castle in Disneyland Paris, is perhaps one of the most beautiful buildings Disney has ever created in its empire of themed attractions. This podcast takes you inside and out, down to the dragon and up to the spires, and even then beyond to the courtyard. Three shops complement the castle experience and a wonderful princess dining experience is approximate in this area that I refer to as the French Quarter of Fantasyland. From park opening until fireworks, this castle stands supreme. Yes, this is the castle you've been looking for. It's unlike any other and it is truly the most Disney of castles. Join us as we explore Sleeping Beauty Castle in Disneyland Paris. I have to say that uh, this concludes, this podcast concludes um, a very involved podcast series that we have had on Disneyland Paris, the park. We still have plenty to cover over next door at Walt Disney Studios or in the resort area. But we covered um, podcasts covering Frontierland, Fantasyland, Adventureland to Discoveryland, and then two on Main Street, one going up on the east side um, or the west side with the Liberty Arcade and the other coming down on the east side with the um, Discovery Arcade. There is just so much to talk about. And so I have... I just feel like this completes our summer series on this uh, by talking about this Sleeping Beauty Castle and giving it its really due notice that that ought to be that ought to be had on this. Now, I do encourage you always to visit DisneyInsights.com. I do that because there's only so much I can say. Maybe I need to turn in this into a vlogcast, but. But there are so many, I have over two dozen images. I have a full on video on our Disney Insights YouTube channel, which you should subscribe to as well as DisneyInsights.com because that's what's going to alert you to upca uh, upcoming podcasts when they come out. You're going to want to go to both of them and you're probably going to want to go to our Facebook page, Disney Insights Afterwards, because we're going to talk more about this amazing uh, castle and its uh, and its total experience. So, so be sure to check out those sources as we go through. And if you have a chance, please, as you're on iTunes, Spotify, however you take on this podcast, could you just please uh, not only subscribe, but give a rating, even possibly a review um, that could positively encourage others to visit this um, this very podcast that we provide each week. So we come to the end of summer. It's Labor Day weekend. I wanted to offer this as a final summer moment. And uh, and so let's talk about, and I, and I just going to say right up front, I apologize for my French, Le Chateau de la Belle, à Bois d'Aumont, Sleeping Beauty Castle. Let's talk first about the exterior and then the interior and the Sleeping Beauty walkthrough. The, now, keep in mind that the original Disneyland Park 
took its inspiration from uh, Neuschwanstein Castle in Germany. You've probably seen that castle also in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. If you've seen the movie, it's been in other movies and so forth. That castle at Disneyland is only 75, 79 feet tall. Cinderella Castle, when you go from the bottom of the moat to the top, is about 189 feet um, from the bottom. So we are talking about 167 foot. We're kind of, this is a little bit of a story of the three bears and this is you know not too small not too big kind of right in between that's what i love about this it just perfectly frames uh itself against main street as you step through and uh and it's just beautiful in that regard the architecture now this is and you probably remember uh not too long ago and i can put a uh link to this to Tom Morris's interview that I did with him where he talks about this castle. Uh, the challenge here is that there are hundreds of castles throughout Europe. And so while it does borrow some elements of important French monuments, such as the stained glass windows from the Cathedral Saint-Chapelle or the, the castle shape from Mont Saint-Michel or the twisted pillars in the church uh, saint Severin. Um, the dome from Chambord Castle, and so forth. Um, what was needed in this situation? And, and they went through many iterations. In fact, at one point, they were looking at actually doing a Tomorrowland-style castle at the end of Main Street that looked like a couple of spaceships taken off. They wisely, as curious as that design was, they wisely went toward the idea of Let's build a castle that is truly fairy tale, like in its its appearance, and that would be the thing that would distinguish it from castles that dot all of Europe. So this castle has soaring spires, it has ornate turrets, regal royal blue rooftops, stained glass windows, and tapestry. It's all and it's all based around. Disney's animated classic, Sleeping Beauty. Now, what's interesting is Ivan Durrell was the artist who really created the, the look and feel. When he created that film, he wanted that to almost look like a series of European tapestries coming to life. Well, what Imagineers did is they went back to those kinds of architectural moments more from the forest, actually, than from the castle itself, because the castle actually was quite a way in the distance other than, well, I mean, you were in the castle during the film and so forth. And and actually, that castle was full of grace. Here we have, um, what do we have? We have um, 14 shades of pink on this castle. So we got pink and blue. It's very much similar to the, the situation that... Um, uh, Fauna and Meriwether find themselves in where they're going back and forth between, no, it should be pink. No, it should be blue. It should be pink and blue. That's what we kind of get out of this castle, which helps to make a very fairy tale. The base of it is still very much that gray stone. But it's as you get to those rooftops that you get a lot of the pinks and, and blues to it. You have um, 16 turrets on this castle that when you add them together, uh, celebrates Aurora's 16th birthday. By the way, and let me come back to that Evan Earl, and I've got the image of the, the, such a masterful image that really inspired people as as they were 
opening Disneyland Paris and building the castle. So where they really borrowed from Ivan Earl is in the is in his images of the forest. And so the idea of these angular kind of cliffs coming off of the castle or these very box-shaped like trees. These are concepts that Ivan Earl really put into uh, the film Sleeping Beauty and it shows up in this castle in a way that's just really cool. I, I listened to a uh, podcast where Tony Baxter talks about talking to Tom Morris about creating this and saying, hey, I need you to create this heightened scale where it looks like you're kind of it's you're kind of going upward to it, but at the same time you got to make sure wheelchairs and other vehicles could easily pass through. You don't have a straight on to the castle. You actually have a slightly winding path, but that path does allow you um, to put wheelchairs. I mean, move vehicles um, like that through. And by the way, there is actually inside the castle an elevator that that hits all three floors that we're going to talk about. But the thing that really makes, and oh, by the way, up in, I can't forget to talk about this. So there's 14 karat gold on uh, the top of the turrets, many of the turrets. Two of those turrets are made of gold themselves. And on those two turrets, if you look closely, what you have is a procession of snails. I mean, what else could be more French than escargot, right? Snails that are climbing up these gold turrets of the castle. It's a very cool thing. But what I love most is that the castle isn't standalone. It's banked by a mountain that is on the left side as you head toward Adventureland. And that's what's making it possible to actually hide a dragon. It also gives that cliff feel. It gives that that sense of um, scale. And it, it's just very clever how this whole landscaping feature. By the way, the first time I I visited was in 2000. And it was, it was a pretty cold month. I think it was February, March, maybe. And we were on our way to South Africa. But we had an extra day to visit Disneyland Paris. And they had just, the night or two before had a major windstorm come through and it literally bent over, curved over all of those box trees. They've since repaired them and it looks beautiful. In fact, talk about um, talk about repairs. There was a renovation done in 2021. Um, Walt Disney Imagining Paris, their design and show quality and construction teams they actually called upon the services of recognized French experts in the field of historical monument refurbishment. They had nine suppliers who came from all over France. They were hired to perform, I mean, everything from carpet, the blue tile that goes on the roofs, the, the, the roofing itself, the painting, the ironwork. It took about 50,000 hours of labor to renovate. It is so worth it. And, and I think what was just fantastic as we were able to see it just months afterwards. And it was just in this pristine uh, place where it just looked beautiful. It was ready for its 30th anniversary. It was such a perfect timing for redoing the castle. By the way, they've also added in the moat around the castle fountains, which are placed in there for both day and nighttime shows. And I say day shows because there is actually a major stage area, as I mentioned on the, on the, on the west side of the building is this mountain that kind of um, rises up toward the castle. But on the east side, 
rather than having the stage right in front of Cinderella Castle, as they do in Tokyo and particularly here at um, Walt Disney World, they moved that castle um, about about uh, a third of the way over on the east side, kind of at an angle facing toward Tomorrowland. It's such a brilliant idea because you have the backdrop of the castle, but at the same time, you're able to do a show and not interrupt the flow of guests. And not one of the biggest problems of Cinderella Castle is because there's so many shows that keep closing. And, and, and this is, I think, one of the things you want to do if you are coming to the Magic Kingdom for the first time, you want to walk through the castle. That's just par for the course, right? But then you get there and there's a show running and that area's closed. You can't go through it and you don't see the mosaic tiles and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a miss. I should also mention that a little further over from the stage, there's a little tiny wishing well uh, there uh, for just that wishing. And, uh, and so that also completes completes the area. Now on the interior, what they did is, and, and I talked about this, or uh, particularly Tom talks about this in a previous article. He was trying to figure out how to do the columns because it's an open atrium when you first walk in to the castle that looks up to the second floor. And it's the second floor that actually depicts the story of Sleeping Beauty. Now, Sleeping Beauty Castle at Disneyland has a walkthrough that kind of goes up and, and down, and it's mostly in the dark. This is largely in the light, the light allowing uh, to come through the stained glass windows that are throughout that second floor area. But at any rate, Tom Morris was trying to figure out how to do the columns and Eddie Sato, who was in charge of Main Street, came along and said, what you need to do is you need to do these these tree-like patterns. That it, because again, Aurora raised in the forest, so you bring in this tree element. I've got a great image of, of how what this looks like and, and so forth. And it just really opens up the area. It is so beautiful. And as you ascend upstairs, then you get into the Sleeping Beauty story. Now that story is told by a couple of key devices. Um, enchanted and elaborate books, which has that Ivan Earl look and feel. In fact, the cover of La Belle Bois Dormant is there with its jewel covers, is very similar to the one you see in the film that opens up at the beginning of the movie. So that kind of greets you and, and welcomes you and, and starts you through there. Then you have these these tapestries. I mentioned earlier that Ivan Durrell really wanted to create the film like a living tapestry, and that comes through through a number of tapestries that were hand-created hand for this. The coolest one, I mean, there all of these tapestries are great. I love particularly the three fairies putting everyone to sleep, but but the coolest one is the one of Sleeping Beauty, Aurora, laying um, holding her rose, laying on the beer, uh, the buyer, um, the bed. And, and what you have is fiber optics that come through and float on top of her. Just very clever use. And then there's a spinning wheel underneath the, this particular tapestry that's constantly spinning to itself. But of all of these, the, the thing that, one of the things that really stands out is the stained glass. These um, 
this was overseen originally by a man named Peter Chapman, who had previously worked on the restoration of stained glass windows in Notre Dame and the Westminster Abbey. He came out um, and did these stained glass windows that are just, they're just stunning because they are so true and faithful to the animated films. You see King Stephen and the Queen, you see King Hoover, you see Prince Philip as a young man, you see the three fairies, you see the dragon, you see all these different images portrayed by the stained glass. The sun is pouring through and it lights the area. It is just, it is high imagination, high quality art. You really have a museum going on here that's playing um, to a Disney story that is just so fantastic. There's some other elements that are very cool, such as a, a knight in armor that's kind of leaned back and he's snoring during the scene uh, next to the, I mentioned the, the, the um, tapestry where the three fairies are putting the castle to sleep and he's snoring through it. But my favorite is some, it's called a pelage. And a pelage, there are, there are only three that I know of. Uh, the original one was, I think, a trial one, and it featured the white rabbit, and it used to be um, a, a, a fairly good size one. I say that because it was, seemed like it was about eight feet by 12 feet in size, pretty good size, and it was of the white rabbit, and it was in a retail shop at the Disneyland Hotel. That retail shop has long been demolished and other things have been put in its place but like downtown Disney, but, but that Pelage was, I think their first one. And then from there, they created a Pelage in the original journey, um, into imagination. And this is when you come off the scene where you've seen the balloon and they're starting, to, they're storing the ideas and then they want to take those ideas and play with them and use color to do this. And so you see Dreamfinder with a paintbrush kind of painting on this Pelage. And what a pelage is, is that it's, it's like stained glass, but it turns into different images based on how you direct the light or you, based on how you direct the color and so forth. In this case with Sleeping Beauty Castle, this pelage, and I've got a picture of it at Disney Insights. I've put them side by side, but don't confuse it because it's the same window, but it you will see two very different images as it changes. Remember that there were gifts given by the three fairies. One gift was the gift of song, and that was represented by the doves. And the second gift was the gift of beauty, and that was represented by the rose. So you will see that this pelage changes from rose to doves, doves back to rose. And you can even see the rose on the back of the doves, but, but it's really hard to see the doves on top of the it's very cool how they've done this pelage and all these there are easily a dozen and a half to two dozen tapestries and windows in fact i'm going to share with you one that nobody ever sees because you don't know where to look for it that's not part of the actual scene um, and that requires going out toward um, the courtyard and the retail shops downstairs there is a courtyard, and one of the cool things about uh, the Disneyland Paris Castle is because you've come upstairs to see all this, you can actually step out um, outside the castle and look over the courtyard 
And um, here you'll see in the center of the courtyard is where the sword and the stone uh, still lays, just like it is at Disneyland and at Magic Kingdom. People are trying to pull on it, trying to pull the sword up out of the stone. What makes this really cool is it's the almost like a link, a connecting point between the carousel, which is called the Carousel de Lancelot, and, and has and plays out the story of, Mer, of um, King Arthur and the store that is in the castle, which is basically a shop theme to Merlin. So it's kind of really cool. Also out in the courtyard, and again, this is why I call this the French Quarter, is you have, and I apologize, I'm going to really botch this one, Auberge de Saint-Lyon. Um, Auberge means hostel. This is actually the home or hostel of Cinderella and actually includes the tower. You remember in the film, Cinderella was made to live in the top of the tower and the mice bring the keys um, up to the top of the tower. You actually see that and you see the entire chateau itself. This is actually a restaurant. Now, in Shanghai Disney, and especially at Magic Kingdom, there is a restaurant inside the castle. They chose not to do a restaurant in the castle. They chose to make this more of a public area, which I think is the right thing to do because everybody wants to visit the castle. And not everybody can afford to eat an expensive meal. But what they did is just adjacent to this castle, they created a little courtyard and a little chateau, which is based on Cinderella. And here you have a restaurant. It offers fine um, French cuisine. In fact, it's probably one of the best places to go in Disneyland Paris to get a, a taste of France. This is not a cheap thing. It's a fixed meal of three courses. But with it, you were also provided a princess meet and greet. So you remember Susie and Perla, they were the two mice in Cinderella. They go around making appearances. Cinderella makes an appearance and then three other Disney princesses also make an appearance. This is a very popular place to visit, very expensive. You're gonna have to make your reservations. In the front, in the courtyard is actually Cinderella's um, golden carriage, uh, pumpkin carriage. It's just an inside. It's what I love about the inside of it is it's not overly Disney, although you have stained glass and you have tapestries that also here tell the story of Cinderella. But what really stands out is that it feels French. It really feels like you are going to a little French chateau for dinner. And having done that experience myself, I think you're going to find it to be a really solid experience if you're looking to do that. Now, I want to come back to the shops, but I want to start with the shop that's actually framed between this Cinderella restaurant and the castle itself. And it's the one that nobody ever sees. There are two at the bottom of the castle. This one's adjacent to the castle as you're moving toward that Cinderella restaurant. And again, apologies, Le Confessie des Tours Fils which is basically the confectionery of the three fairies. And this is, a, this is actually what this feels like is a, the cottage of the fairy godmothers where they took Aurora to raise her until her 16th birthday. But here they filled it with sweet treats, 
and some chocolates and so forth, European chocolates and so forth. But inside you have these gnarled tree trunks, you have some stained glass windows, big, huge wooden beams. And over the firework at fireplace, you're gonna catch, and you'll see this play out in the video, but you'll see, a, I have a picture as well. But you see the three fairies coming and going as, um, as part of this scene. So it's a very, it's a very clever place and it plays on again, the story of Sleeping Beauty. Then there are two um, shops underneath or at the bottom floor of the castle, which by the way, has been the tradition at Cinderella Castle at Magic Kingdom for many years. And then they took that space and made one into the um, boutique area for uh, makeovers and the other side to really help support the cast in delivering shows out on the stage and so forth. But here we have the first is Boutique Boutique de Chateau, and it is basically Disneyland Paris's Christmas store. And it is adorable. The vaulted ceilings and the touch of vines and accented by by holiday garland with lights on it. It looks like Christmas every day of the year, but a Christmas that has come alive in Europe. And it is, and then there's um, music that plays in the background. Uh, um, I want to say Glockenspiel, not Glockenspiel, but um, but that uh, kind of um, particular music that um, that is played in Europe on on a keyboard. I'll I'll remember that. And then there is also in this store what I referred to earlier is the last stained glass. It is a celebration of King Stephen and King Hubert over the 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 love and and the happily ever after of Sleeping Beauty. But you don't see it unless you come to the store. And uh, there they are raising their glasses in scumps, and uh, it's very cool. It's very cool. The other store is Merlin's Encanteur, which is basically um the enchantor or actually the title here is the same title of what the french version of sword in the stone is actually called the the 1963 animated classic it's actually that is the title they use for the french version of sword in the stone and here you have this workshop of merlins which contains these fantastical items of of inventions and things he's working on. Remember how there was a model, kind of a Da Vinci style model of an airplane, and Archimedes the owl was laughing because these things aren't going to work. And and uh, anyway, you have all these little objects throughout, things he has gathered and so forth. It's very very cool. And then actually, it's um, it it appears to be an Arribas Brothers store where it has a lot of glass um, displays and jewelry and and those kinds of um, glass items for gifts and everything so but what makes this shop really very cool is adjacent to the shop there is a door and that door leads to well it leads to 
La Tanea du Dragon. In other words, the dragon's dungeon. And now this can also be accessed from outside the castle. But when you come on down to this basement level, and again, an elevator will get you there if you need it. But when you get down to this basement level area, you find this massive dragon. And I say massive, it's about 79 feet long and it weighs more than two tons. It appears to be asleep, but every once in a while it seems to be uh, coming alive and kind of um, gnarling itself. Now, what makes the dragon interesting, and I didn't realize this until I had heard uh, Tom Morris share this recently, is that I always thought it, this was a play on Maleficent's dragon. In truth, the story here is that this is Merlin's dragon, not Maleficent's dragon. It doesn't look like Maleficent's dragon. In fact, what it looks like, according to Tom Morris, he was really, or maybe this was, Maybe this wasn't Tom Morris's idea. This may have been Tony Baxter. Maybe they were both inspired by Seven Voyages of Sinbad, which had a dragon. And I show a picture of it in Disney Insights. And that's the dragon they took inspiration from. And this is very, this is very interesting because, again, this dragon is in the mountain that separates the castle from the adjacent land, which is Adventureland. And when you step into Adventureland, what is it that they celebrate? They celebrate the seven voyages of Sinbad. In fact, there's symbolism in the tower as you enter Adventureland based on Sinbad. You have to remember, as we kind of talked about in the podcast, this park was designed and even opened up months before um, Aladdin came out. And so Aladdin, they, there is a walkthrough area of Aladdin. I have um, a short video on that that you can see. But but um, most of the original design for that little courtyard as you enter in Adventureland was not based on Aladdin. It was based on the seven voyages of Sinbad. And this dragon actually harkens uh, to this. It's actually one of the biggest animatronic characters ever designed by Walt Disney Imagineering and it it is really um it is really fantastic if if there's anything that could top this dragon I'm telling you the dragon is one of the things you have to see when you go to Disneyland Paris it is an attraction of and by the way I think Tony is the one who talks about this is is that they they had to get approval to do a dragon. I think they minimize the description of this, but they, they, the bean counters wouldn't include this as an attraction. They didn't see this as an attraction with so many people going through it um, by the hour, but it has turned into just that. It has become an attraction in and of itself. And that added to the whole, um, experience you have on the upper floor of Sleeping Beauty Castle going through um, through this area. It's all just amazing. And the only thing that tops it off is the nighttime uh, fireworks that, that come through. Now, these um, are changing, um, but the ones they had, um, they had something called Disney Dreams that, that showed up for the 30th anniversary 
And then they also, well, but you can also go to what's called Disney Illuminations and you can see, um, you can see Disney Illuminations on Disney Plus. What was really cool about the castle during the 30th anniversary show is that they were able to do the first successful drone show in and adjacent to the castle. It wasn't part of the fireworks show. It was actually a separate little show with some anniversary music and the depictions of all these these drones making Mickey's in the sky and, and a 30th symbol and so forth. Just very clever. Now, the downside of all that is they closed off most of Fantasyland in order to do these drones. But notwithstanding, it did make um, a pretty good um, impression at, um, and and whenever you go there, and, and again, the not only are there fireworks, but you have the fountains, the color, projections, all of it at, um, at Disneyland Paris is a pretty impressive experience. And the, again, the show may vary when you get there, but it is so, and, it, and by the way, one of the challenges of the fireworks show is in the summer when they particularly play these shows, because that's when you have your major attendance in the parks. They, um, they have to do the shows pretty late because of the, latitude that Disneyland Paris is in compared to uh, other castles around the world. They have to wait much later to get to the dark in order to have those fireworks shows. But definitely worth coming back if you've left the park during the day. You have to see it at night. Just have to see it at night. At any rate, that concludes not only our discussion about um, the castle at Disneyland Paris. It concludes a very involved series. And if you have not caught them, please catch our podcasts that go into all of the details of these lands. You also go through our YouTube video, YouTube um, Disney Insights. And if you scroll down the Disneyland Paris, you will see that there, again, there are about seven interviews uh, from Tony Baxter, Tom Morris, Eddie Sato, Tim Delaney and others who are talking about all the different lands at Disneyland Paris and how they focused on it. You can find, my belief is you can't find better gathering of stuff on Disneyland Paris. And eventually we'll get around to covering the, um, the other park, Walt Disney Studios Paris, and also talking about um, the resort area, which is very beautiful in and of itself. But we wanted to finish the summer out with this Disneyland Paris series. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. It is provided not only by myself, but Performance Journeys, which is celebrating its 20th year as a training and development group, seeking to bring best in business ideas through books, keynotes, workshops, seminars, and even online tools that will help take your organization to the next level. So if you're looking for a keynote speaker, search no more. Would love to come do a keynote. Done them for small groups, done them for massive style groups of several thousand. And more than just really nice stories, we bring in proven ideas. It can be just proven ideas from Disney, but it can also include other world-class organizations. 
That is part of what we deliver here. We provide consulting for people who are trying to figure out how to make their organization succeed. Whether it's in the public, private, or nonprofit arena, we've got ideas and solutions for you there. Then we also provide workshops, seminars, classroom, online tools. Speaking of online tools, and, and by the way, these online tools cover customer service delivery, leadership development, employee engagement, so much. Inclusive of all these, make sure if you really want to check out all things Disney, check out our Wayfinder Society. For our members of the Wayfinder Society, we have added a massive new section to our Pirates of the Caribbean that celebrates where pirates began. Disneyland, we go into incredible detail, not only about Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland, but also Pirate's Lair at Tom Sawyer's Island and all the components. There are so many pirates throughout Disneyland. If you get down to counting them from Captain Hook to, um, to Star Wars, uh, Millennium Falcon, uh, Smuggler's Run, uh, Onaka, um, we, we just cover all sorts of pirates. So go and check out our Wayfinder Society and help support this podcast. Thanks again for joining us for Disney Insights. We appreciate your support. Please share with others. Come to Facebook and join us in our dialogue and discussion there. And finally, in the words of Sinbad's, yeah, we come back to Sinbad, Sinbad's Storybook Voyage at Dis Tokyo Disney Sea. Always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.